Hello, everybody. I'm Tiggy, and welcome to this month's For the World episode, our series on sustainability and motorsport. We are so honored to have Julia Palais, Vice President of Sustainability for Formula E, here with us today. Julia has an incredible background in sustainability. She's been with Formula E since its founding for over 10 years. For those who are newer to Formula E, it is the first all-electric motorsport series, single-seater. The Formula E season kicked off already last month in Mexico City. Julia, you were also at COP28 prior to that and a whole host of other things. You are very, very busy. So thank you for being here. And I'm thrilled to just dive into it all. So welcome. Thank you so much. I mean, thanks for having me, first of all. (laughs) So let's start with a super quick Formula E 101 for our listeners that are newer to the series. Anything you'd like to add or say from your perspective on that? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, Formula E for, uh, I mean, let's say the the beginners uh, is, uh, I mean, the the latest addition of uh, the World Championship Racing Series. It's a championship that is all electric racing in the heart of cities. So that's really something that is very exciting because you get to see the background of some of the biggest cities in the world. And it's the fastest uh, grain motorsport in the planet because of the ingredients. Uh, it's uh, sustainability and unpredictable racing that come together and appeal to a very, uh, I mean, uh, younger and different audience uh, to motorsport. Definitely. I think that's beautifully said. And congrats already on the growth this year. I was seeing, I think the first race was already over 50% growth from last year. So that's amazing. But Let's start with your backstory. What brought you first to sustainability and then to motorsport? Well, uh, I mean, I come from a region in France, as you can hear my French accent, where uh, sustainability was very much uh, part of my life. Uh, It's a protected uh, natural reserve. So I've been growing with those values of sustainability. And then I decided to uh, study sustainability, which was uh, very important to me. And I think that uh, this is what makes the difference. Ultimately, when you want to become a professional, you need to be qualified. And so, uh, I mean, that's how uh, throughout my career, I've been navigating uh, with sustainability at the heart of everything that I was doing, but from a business uh, environment, because my point has always been to uh, bring sustainability as something that would bring uh, more value and support businesses in being themselves uh, more sustainable in their practices. Yeah, that's amazing. And so what then led you to motorsport through that love of sustainability? Because I think some people don't always make the connection between sports in general, but especially motorsport and the sustainability world and kind of how those two can play together. So if you think about motorsport 15 years ago, that was probably the most unexpected place to work uh, from a sustainability point of view. And that was what of interest to me. It was the challenge and the opportunity. The challenge, because motorsport traditionally is a very, you know, CO2 intense uh, type of environment, uh, but also the opportunity to actually reduce the CO2 emissions, just starting from the environmental point of view, then we can add the social layers and so on. Um, But uh, because uh, Formula E is obviously a very disruptive and innovative concept in motorsport, which is racing electric vehicles that are zero tailpipe, but also very much the future mm-hmm. of automotive in terms of, you know, the main street, uh, the mainstream solution on our streets uh, to basically continue to develop and use transport and mobility in a more sustainable way, reducing CO2 emissions in our cities and also reducing the air pollution in our cities. That was the f- fantastic opportunity for me to jump on board and merge those two passions of mine. Yeah, no, I love that. And we talk about that a lot on this series about how motorsport, especially can affect 
climate change and sustainability more broadly. And I think a lot of people have a narrow view of just thinking about the cars and the emissions of the cars. But when you think about the logistics, when you think about the travel, when you think about the even sustainable fuels or sustainable aviation fuels, there are so many other things that sports and motorsport can kind of trickle out and, and impact. So I think that's really, really fascinating. But having been with Formula E since its founding, what kind of accomplishments are you most proud of over the past decade on that sustainability front? I think what I'm the proudest of is uh, we really created a culture for sustainability. It's it's stronger than a strategic aspect of the business. This is really something that trickles through the blood and the veins of the business. And so sustainability is not, you know, like a strategic consideration. It's literally uh, the vision, the founding principle of the business, accelerating sustainable human progress is not my sustainability tagline. This is the business highest principle. So from that, all the business decisions basically are derived or go back to this founding principle. And that's literally how you can say that you're purpose-driven because the purpose of the business yeah. is greater than the sport. We used to say we're more than a sport, but we're literally more than a sport. We were creating to support by offering a very concrete solution to fight climate change and build a more equitable society altogether, ultimately thanks to our sport. Yeah, that must make your role very busy though because it is the ethos of the entire sport. I'm sure you have everybody constantly talking to you, coming to you. Um, what is that like, kind of collaborating with everybody, every aspect of the organization? I feel like that's probably pretty different than other sustainability roles in other motorsport series or in other kind of companies more broadly. So you are just at the heart of it all. But what is what is that like? Well, the, the privilege that we have uh, in sustainability at Formula is that we truly embedded at every step of the way of the business, whether it's mm-hmm. uh, the strategic decision making. I report directly to the CEO of Formula E, which is by the book the way it should be uh, when it comes to yeah. sustainability. In practice, not often the case, unfortunately. Uh, but also sustainability is, is really embedded down to the very operational aspects of the delivery of our events because ultimately we deliver motorsport event and it's very important that we practice what we preach and we also visibly showcase sustainability to audiences that come to us uh, and that they experience you know an event that is uh, without any single-use plastic bottles that has uh, recycling throughout its uh, racing site consistently and so on and so forth yeah no that makes a lot of sense and so building a series from the ground what has been particularly challenging about that i mean i guess in general, but also from a sustainability perspective. I'm sure it's not been a smooth ride the entire way. <laughs> well, uh, clearly when we created Formula E, we, we actually uh, started by highlighting the, the barriers that we needed to overcome through the series. And the barriers mm-hmm. were the barriers to EV adoption. And they've been really the sort of like uh, guidelines that we followed to make sure that little by little we were breaking those barriers. Technology, uh, I mean, if you think about 10 years ago, the battery capacity of most electric vehicles were not there. Now we have a car that has probably more than tripled the battery capacity from when we started with the first generation of our racing car to nowadays the Gen 3, uh, going above 320 kilometers per hour, to uh, the reality of, uh, you know, an audience uh, that needed to be educated to think about buying electric vehicles when now we have millions of electric vehicles on the yeah. streets and basically it's a double digit increase year on year in terms of the amount of new plates that are on the market. So we are obviously 
operating in a very different context nowadays. But the biggest challenge initially was very much our reason to be that was to break all those barriers to access uh, electric vehicles as a mass market solution for consumers. Yeah. So how much do you feel like Formula E has kind of pushed the envelope on those electric technologies versus, you know, I'm sure it's a bit of a give and take, like you're borrowing from the electric vehicle manufacturers more broadly, but I'm sure they're also learning from you in certain ways. So how, how does that work? Well, the, the very reason why we decided to create the championship was to use the power of the technological laboratory that motorsport is. Yeah. And the technological laboratory means that the racing cars that we have develop technologies, R&D, that then are going to be transferred into the road cars that the manufacturers are basically developing and deploying on the streets that you and I will be will be using, the vehicles that we will be driving in the streets we will be using. And so, I mean, the simple fact that we've seen the range of electric vehicles from the battery perspective, but also the options in the, let's say, uh, car shops uh, being available is, is testament to the fact that, I mean, we've obviously made a difference. And if you think about the lineup of car, man, uh, of car manufacturers that we've had or we have currently in the championship, which is the biggest ever in, a, in an FIA-sanctioned yeah. championship, is absolutely amazing. Just a few names. Porsche, Jaguar, Nissan, Stellantis Group. We're talking about like the biggest name of the yeah. entire automotive industry that are with us because they want to develop and learn the technology, but also because they want to showcase that to their consumers that they are committed and fighting literally to develop the best vehicles <laughs> that they can. Yeah, no, I think it's it's such a win-win situation, I think both for Formula E and for the, the manufacturers. What Formula E technologies do you feel like or think will have the biggest impact on the broader automotive industry going forward? You mentioned range, but other types of things. Well, so I think we've actually probably beaten this barrier around uh, the battery and the range. I think range anxiety is, is probably a, a problem from the past. There's still a bit of education. That's why it's very important that the media is, is actually talking about it, because I believe there's still some education that needs to be made to consumers on the fact that, uh, I mean, the range of electric vehicles is now really as good as any kind of other vehicles, uh, which was a worry from the past. Nowadays, the real uh, the real topic that we're focusing on is about the infrastructure, because it's true mm. that still in, uh, I mean, the perception of consumers and drivers of electric vehicles, they are worried about not having enough uh, EV chargers or having mm -hmm. EV chargers that are going to take a lot of time to recharge their cars. Say you want to go on holidays, you have to drive 800 kilometers and they don't want to be stuck at the station for a couple of hours while the battery is recharging. And that's very much why we're introducing uh, at the heart of the championship as part of the sporting you know, um, spectacle and show an element of ultra fast charging that will be introduced this mm -hmm. season uh, to showcase very much to consumers that ultra fast charging is a technology that exists and that is going to be made available and rolled out on their streets so that this anxiety from the charging element is going to be uh, suppressed. Yeah, no, I think that makes so much sense. And I mean, before there were gas stations everywhere, there were also there was also anxiety around, is there going to be enough gas stations? Um, so I think, yeah, it's a lot about changing the perception of that and the reality of, of access. I think that's a really, really important thing. So kudos to kind of leading the charge on that. It's a big team effort. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
when you think about other aspects of the business, obviously there's the racing and there's the technology, but running a business sustainably overall, there's logistics, there are so many other things that go into that. Are there other industries or organizations or companies that you look to for inspiration outside of motorsport or sport more, bro- more broadly? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, in, in sports, uh, the Olympics are always a reference mm. that we look towards to. Uh, the Olympics have always been, you know, uh, I mean, historically leading the way on most things and on sustainability too. They were the first uh, in London to develop the International Standard for Sustainability in Events, which is called ISO 2012-1. So London Olympics mm. were the first one trialing these. And since then, the Olympics have been all certified against this standard. And we were actually the first motorsport in the world to achieve uh, the ISO 2021 certification uh, seven years ago. Uh, and it's been obviously got like a, a key milestone for us uh, because that's really how we ensure that we have all the processes and we create a, a systemic approach to delivering our event sustainably. Um, and I think that's, uh, I mean, that's testament to also the reality of acknowledging that, uh, yes, it's not it's not about the car. It's actually very little about the car in terms of the uh, environmental impact. The car is less than yeah. 1% of the carbon footprint of the championship. The big bulk is the, the freight and the logistics, as you rightly pointed out. But that's where, again, because the championship is purpose-driven, We've been able to attract people that are like-minded to work with us. Mm. DHL is our logistics partner and DHL is on the same mission as us, uh, uh, science-based target align, uh, driving towards uh, net zero by 2050. And uh, DHL is obviously, uh, I mean, facing the reality of uh, clients that day-to-day are asking for more efficient and sustainable ways to move around the world. And they are basically using us in, in a very nice way, but as guinea pigs, to test those new and innovative solutions at the scale of the championship, which for DHL is, I would say, moderate. For us, it's the world. Um, and <laughs> that's, that's the fantastic opportunity to try all new things together and then basically, you know, uh, I mean, bring that to the next level and replicate and scale. Yeah. Partners are so important in that. We talk about all that all the time with F1, whether it's DHL, whether it's Pirelli with the tires and all sorts of partners, kind of everybody has to be pushing towards the same thing for because you have all these other scope two and three emissions that you're not directly controlling. You really need cooperation. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacovas your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacovas. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We all need a little extra health booth sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. 
And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1R the girls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1R the girls for 15% off today. But on the Olympics, I have to ask since it's in your home country this summer, will you be attending? <laughs> Absolutely. I have tickets yes. to go and see the athletics, and I, I'm also going to go and see the Special Olympics, which I, I must say I'm very oh, excited that's about. Amazing. Because I think these people are beyond inspiring. They are champions without the medals yeah. uh, without uh, i mean just at the starting light that's that's really amazing i'm also going to the olympics oh that's i great. wish i had athletics tickets but unfortunately not <laughs> <laughs> um that's that's wonderful so we were talking a little bit about f1 sustainability how much collaboration is there between formula e and f1 on sustainability we obviously know formula e is leading the charge but what what do you feel like f1 can learn from formula e when it comes to that well, I mean, something that we've always uh, made made sure that we would uh, we would do was to be very transparent about everything that we do in sustainability and make sure that we would communicate. We have uh, several, let's say, I mean, points where different sports get together. Uh, for example, UNFCCC Sport for Climate Action Framework that we contributed to create uh, together with a couple of other organizations now has uh, hundreds of signatories, including F1 and some of our racing mm -hmm. teams like McLaren and so on. And that's basically a fantastic platform for us to share what I find is interesting, you know, uh, what is working well, well, but what I find more powerful and empowering is the challenges that we're facing, because it's far mm. more interesting to discuss what you're struggling with and get, you know, uh, people all together to think about it and try and solve an issue. And so that's uh, very much what we've always, you know, uh, favored. It's it's very important for us to be sharing uh, data and ideas. For example, a couple of years ago, as we were talking about the Olympics, uh, we introduced uh, an innovation in uh, the branding that we have on our races, which um, managed basically to suppress all the PVC and the plastic that we used, making it fully recyclable. So that was a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, IOC contacted us asking us how we did it and the technology and created wow. a working group with all uh, international federations so that they could basically uh, benefit from this innovation and that that would trickle down. So so that shows you how it's really about the dialogue and the transparency and really supporting each other. We are not in an industry where sustainability, I mean, can be competitive. Of course, we're, yeah. we're in a competitive industry, but everything but sustainability because we yeah. need to 
row in the same direction when it comes to sustainability. The challenge is too big and too difficult to to achieve otherwise. Yeah, I can I cannot agree more. And Formula One has a long way to go, but I'm optimistic that their goals that they're setting out and with a little help from collaboration, working groups with Formula E and other experts, they'll hopefully start to to get there. We all hope for that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking again about Formula E and the growth this season, kind of what are your goals for the year, whether it's sustainability focused or more broadly? Yeah, so I mean, very simply, uh, the the top three things this season that we're looking at are one, uh, I mean, really continually decreasing our CO two emissions in lines in line, sorry, with our science based targets. Uh, so, in a sense, by twenty thirty, we need to have decreased our global CO two emissions for the championship by forty five percent, taking the baseline of twenty nineteen, which was basically the 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 year just before COVID, so that it's mm-hmm. equal levels uh, and comparable. Uh, that's number one. Number two is really about the social impact and the positive impact that uh, we create in our local communities or through the targeted groups that we have. I'm sure we will come back to Girls on Track, but obviously female empowerment Mm -hmm. is a a very, very important topic to us. So uh, impacting more and more people as we race and, you know, like we are this traveling circus around the world. Uh, This traveling circus needs to leave a long lasting impact uh, behind itself. (laughs) And then uh, another uh, exciting project, we're uh, working towards uh, B Corp certification, uh, which is uh, something new uh, with we are of a, a sort of track, successful track record of uh, multiple certification because it it aligns with our ethos of being innovative and always at the forefront, not for the ego, but to showcase that it's actually possible that if we do it, then the rest of the industry can embrace it. And that's uh, that's basically the, the new thing that we have uh, on the pipeline. Yeah, no, all three sound super exciting. And I love that you mentioned the kind of women and girls on track angle as well, because I think that's something a lot of people forget about when in the sustainability conversation, when you think about the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, like they comprise climate sustainability related things, but they also comprise diversity, inclusion, more kind of human rights type things. So I'm, I'm glad that you're thinking of those two things kind of hand in hand. Um, where do you see Formula E heading? Like what's your kind of dream or growth trajectory over the next five to 10 years, especially as we get more and more towards electric in the automotive industry more broadly? Well, we weekly, and I'm saying we, because at Formula E, it's, it's very clear for all of us, yeah. uh, Formula E has the potential to become the most popular sport, if not motors, uh, sorry, motorsport, if not sport on the planet. And we are working towards that goal to make it really, uh, I mean, what, what, it, what we know it is, uh, but basically spreading out the message uh, to the rest of the world. Yeah. Well, I love that goal and you're well on your way. So <laughs> I think yes, the the tailwinds of the broader automotive industry and the trends are in your direction. So <laughs> that's exciting. Um, and we mentioned we were t- chatting before we hit record here that you were at COP28. Um, would love to hear your experience there and what you took away from that event for people who are unaware listening. COP28 is the yearly sustainability summit I guess, hosted by the UN, where people from business, government, all sorts of uh, industries come together to talk about climate goals and uh, regulations. So I'd love to hear your experience from that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it was it was a very interesting uh, presence that we had at COP. Uh, first of all, because uh, we've been really uh, pushing the sports industry to be more uh, vocal uh, over the last couple of uh, COP editions. Uh, we were the only one present at COP26, so just two mm-hmm. years ago. And that was really a sort of uh, call that we we, we um, actually launched to the rest of the sports organization because uh, collectively we have a very powerful voice. And elevating uh, the topic of sustainability through the voices of sport uh, is very important to us. We do that continually through our series because it's, as I said, very much in our DNA. Um, and so that was that was really great to this year come with our partners and our manufacturers and really come together with the ecosystem of family elevating the topic of sustainability across the board, the role that, uh, I mean, we can support uh, the governments, the agencies like United Nations and so on to um, to use us as a great way to uh, elevate the messages in terms of living more sustainable lifestyles uh, for the people like you and I in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been really something that uh, has been the, the common thread in, in all the COP involvements that we had. This year, particularly, what I found interesting, uh, and I will go straight into some of the controversial topics around, <laughs> yes. today, around the president that uh, was obviously also uh, leading a very important uh, uh, conglomerate uh, around um, around um, petroleum and basically mm-hmm. uh, oil and gas uh, companies. Uh, and so my takeaway um, and, and the positioning of Romilly in, in general is that it's actually very important uh, to have everyone around the table when you're facing such a big challenge as climate change. And we are seeing all of us, the day-to-day impacts of climate change from the forest uh, fires in Chile to basically torrential rains and tsunamis mm-hmm. on the other side of the world and so on. This is material. So, uh, I mean, the we don't have enough time. We're probably not going to even like, make it to the 1.5 degree, uh, I mean, global warming uh, challenge that United Nations is still trying to to basically impose to the world. Uh, we know it's probably not going to be even achievable. So the reality is that we need really everyone around the table. And um, it's very important to have actually those that are very much part of the problem because they have also the opportunity to become part of the solution. Also because these yeah. companies have access to resources that most of the companies don't. And so if they decide suddenly to be part of the solution, they can invest in innovations that will bring more efficiencies and more sustainable solutions. So um, that was one of the key things uh, that were my takeaways. The second thing is it's it was also very clear for this first time that COP and United Nations with the rest of the uh, negotiation countries and delegates uh, clearly highlighted that fossil fuel is something detrimental for our future uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the environmental impact and also the social impact that then it, it, it creates in terms of air pollution and so on and so forth. And, and these are the two things to me that, uh, I mean, uh, made this COP28 uh, quite special. Yeah. No, I, I think that's very well said, and it is controversial. I, I work at a think tank here in New York, and we had the head of COP come and speak, and there was a lot of that debate of, you know, maybe a little bit hypocritical, but I completely agree. It's You need everybody at the table to solve these problems that are so big and require everybody <laughs> kind of collaborating. So I'm glad to hear that that was a positive takeaway from, from the event. So just a couple things to wrap up. We always close with 
advice for aspiring women in motorsport? You have paved an amazing path. You've been in motorsport for over a decade, helped found Formula E. So tell us any kind of advice you have for women who are either thinking about joining motorsport as an employee or even just as a fan of what your what your thoughts would be there. Well, I mean, the advice I would always give is follow your dreams, but also uh, give give yourself, you know, like uh, the, the 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 way to fulfill your ambitions. So, you know, work hard, study, uh, make sure that you connect, network, be open minded and, you know, put yourself out there. So follow your dreams because there's no dream that is too big for you. That That's mm-hmm. for sure. But it's not going to happen by chance. So you need to provoke your chance. Yeah, I love that. You're, the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> exactly. Um, so just to, to close, the last thing, we love to do a little bit of rapid fire, nothing too hard. But first up, your favorite race on the Formula E calendar, if you had to choose one. I know I'm sure it's hard to choose, but... <laughs> It's actually quite clear. Mexico, Mexico City. It's my favorite awesome. one. Like, <laughs> uh, in the and the atmosphere, the culture of Mexico. Yeah. I'm dying to go to that one next year. We we've been to the Formula One Mexico City Grand Prix, which is just incredible. But I I'm dying to go to the Formula E <laughs> Mexico race. Um, favorite sport, if you have one outside of motorsport. Hiking, uh, going back again to my uh, roots. I love hiking. I love being in nature. That's how I recharge my batteries and I find it uh, absolutely wholesome and beautiful. That's amazing. So what region in France and where, where did you hike growing up? So I've been growing up in the center of France uh, in a region that is called Auvergne. And uh, that's basically a place where you have uh, uh, old volcanoes. Uh, so you can hike up and down wow. the volcanoes. Also good for trail running for those. Cool <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'll add that to the list. Um, yes. And I guess on a related note, so either from France or from where you live now, do you have a favorite hometown recommendation, whether it's a hike, a restaurant, museum, can be anything? <laughs> Yeah, well, so I think we're going to follow on, on the on the hiking topic because it's it's really a must do in in my region in France. You must go up the Puy de Dome, which is the highest uh, extinguished volcano uh, in the region, wow. where you have basically a three sixty view, uh, endless basically horizon view uh, on on the region, and it's absolutely stunning. At every season of a, every season of the year, you can <laughs> see the different colors of nature and so on. It's really beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'll definitely have to add that to the bucket list. Um, Julia, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. I learned so much and I know our listeners will too. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. 